will be reading from the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. That's Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them in that portion of the scripture and join me in reading God's word. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Praise God for the reading of his word. We now be seated. Good morning. The title of today's message is The Dangers of Drifting. The Dangers of Drifting. We studied in Hebrews chapter 1, that Christ is superior to the prophets and the angels. The author of Hebrews asserted that Christ is the heir of all things. Moreover, he is the creator of the world. God spoke through the prophets in many ways, but then he spoke to us through one way, through his Son. The Son purified our sins through His sacrifice, and after His resurrection and ascension, He sat at the right hand of God. Christ was not like any other prophet, nor was He like the angels. The writer of Hebrews declared that Christ is the exact representation of God's glory and nature. Moreover, Christ is God. God called His Son as God, and that the Son is eternal. Angels are powerful beings who serve God, but they should not be exalted together or higher than the Son. Angels worship the Son of God because the Son is God. Angels do not rule in authority, but the Son of God does. He sits at the right hand of God. The author of Hebrews warned the recipients of his letter. The recipients could be a combination of Jewish believers and non-believers. The non-believing Jewish recipients were probably familiar with the gospel. They probably joined in in fellowships like this, combination of those who believe and those who were interested only. They could be regular listeners. Now, the writer of Hebrews wanted the readers of the letter to pay close attention to the gospel, not drift away, and not return to Judaism. Remember the context. At this time, there were many rabbis that arose and many writings that arose. 
and they were trying to convert back the Christians to Judaism. And one factor is the security of their religion because the Roman government has recognized Judaism as one of the religions in the state. But Christianity was not recognized, therefore persecuted. Let's read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason. Now, whenever we see that word, for this reason, and in some translations it says, therefore, we have to look, why is it therefore? We have to look at the context. We cannot separate a verse or a text from its context. Recently, I had the pleasure of preaching the gospel to somebody who loves to take the Bible out of context. When I say out of context, uh, I mean removing pieces of scripture from its, its material. For example, you read the newspaper, and uh, instead of reading the whole story, you pick a paragraph or a statement and you separate it from the whole story. That's taking it out of context. And I'd like to remind everybody that the Bible did not have numbers before. It was a printer who put in the numbers, not even a Bible scholar. A scholar, yes, but not necessarily a Bible scholar. He put the numbers because it was a business then. Then it became the standard because many use it. It helped us to identify where that statement is. However... There was a big disservice. People now began taking these verses out of its context. And even many believers do that without really considering what's the main point of the story. The main point of Hebrews in the theological part of it is Christ is better than Judaism. That he is better than the prophets, than the angels. And soon we will discuss that he is better than Moses. We will preach on that because the writer of Hebrews said that. He would be better than the priesthood. So consistently, that's the context of it. And the context would be about those who were receiving the message. For this reason, what reason? Many things about Christ in chapter 1. And um, my wife shared to me that she did uh, a technique we used when we studied. It's called mind mapping. And she showed me mind map, her mind map, and she said she's doing it with her ladies group. And I was, I was uh, happy and amazed uh, because you just look, put the word Christ in the middle of a paper, and everything you see, line per line, what does the author say about Christ? And then you will see that Christ is many things. Of course, the highest that, one, that the writer of Hebrews said is that he is God. And there's that mystery, so much mystery in the book of Psalms that, that the, the book, writer of Hebrews has quoted Psalms many times in, in his letter to the Hebrews, that he is God. God himself called the Son God, and God uh, uh, raised him up, and he sits at the right hand. And there was a confusion which we clarified last time. That Christ is the firstborn, meaning the first in status, not the first created. 
because it's also written that he created everything. Nothing was created without him. So he could not create himself. So it could not be first created, but first in status. When you say firstborn, the first of many. It also means he is the son of God, but the son was not given. That title was only given when he became man. It's called the incarnation. When the angel said to Mary, he shall be called the son of God. Before that, he was not called the son of God. When he walked on earth and confronted demons, the demons says, you are the son of God. But in the Old Testament, he was not called son. He was the word. He was co-equal with God, yet he, because he is God, yet he humbled himself so that what? He can save us, so that he can die for us. So it is a voluntary act of humility, which we say is the greatest act of humility in the universe, God becoming frail human beings. For this reason, what reason? Everything I just repeated to you, which is found in Hebrews 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Verse 1 says, pay closer attention. Remember the teacher calling your attention. I, the situation right now might be very difficult to teaching kids. I have no problem teaching doctoral students because I give them an assignment, they are very responsible to do their assignments, to do their research. But I can imagine, you see, little kids in the classroom is so hard to manage. Can you imagine what the teacher goes through online? Oh, wow. So, but somehow even adults fail to pay attention. Sometimes my doctoral students would ask me to repeat, Sir, puede bato? So I have to answer again. Yes, yes, that's, that's, you can do that. And we discussed that before. And I have to repeat again and again because human beings are frail. We don't remember everything. We drift away from things we know. One proof is the examination. In the exam, we would say, I know this. I studied this. But I forgot. But I know this. And then you suddenly are upset with yourself for not remembering. One proof that at one time you remembered, at another time your mind drifted away. Or maybe when the teacher was speaking, your mind was daydreaming. You were daydreaming already of what you will do after class with your friends. So pay closer attention. That was the intent of the writer. Pay close attention to what I've told you. Pay close attention to who Christ is and the gospel, to what you have heard. So what? You do not drift away. Point number one, I'll call this consequence of disobedience. The messages spoken through angels proved reliable, as depicted in Old Testament scripture and the Jewish tradition. Consequently, punishment followed those who disobeyed. The reliability of the messages and the consequences of disobedience probably led to the Jews to hold angels in high regard. Uh, Jewish people 
respect angels and they hold them in high regard. That's why the writer is saying actually Christ is higher than the angels. The angels actually worship Christ. So I know you respect angels, but listen to who the Son is. Verse 2, let's read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. It is believed that the Old Testament scriptures, the uh, the Old Covenant, the angels played a, a role in delivering the Old Covenant. And uh, the Jews believed that angels played uh, a role in bringing the law to Moses. Angels accompanied God in Mount Sinai during the giving of the law to Moses. And some were used as spokespersons. Let us look at Psalm 68 verse 17, just as a reference to what, to what Hebrews is saying, it says the chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in holiness. And then let's look at Deuteronomy 33 verse 2. As Moses recorded, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. At his right hand, there was flashing lightning for them. Now, the word 10,000 is not literal. In the context of this, it was written in poetry. So remember, when, when you see a prophetic message in poetic form, it's not always literal. If it's a narrative, it was literal, but... At times, it's written in poetic form. It just meant many, many angels. Now, Stephen, in Acts 7, 38, mentioned angels in his uncompromising message. If you remember, Stephen got martyred. He narrated that an angel spoke to Moses when he received the oracles, the tablets of the law. Let's read uh, Acts 7, 38. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received living oracles to pass on to you. And Acts 7 verse 53 in the same chapter in the book of Acts it says, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. The point being why I quoted these verses is to support the fact that the Jewish people respect angels and they saw their role in the delivering of the old covenant. So the, the message spoken through angels that must be obeyed refers to the Old Testament law that there was a just punishment if you did not believe the word of angels, if you did not follow them. The list of consequences for not following the law is also found in the law. A just punishment awaited every offense, which could lead to the death penalty in their context. The connection between angels and the law is strong in the Jewish belief. 
So the writer of Hebrews saying there was a consequence. There was punishment if you did not listen. You did not obey the word given through angels. But there's a greater punishment if you listen to the word from the Son and do not obey it. He was implying that, not directly saying it. So let's read verse 3, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard? How will we escape then? The logic is angels spoke these and there, was, there, were, there were consequences. Now, how will we ex- escape If we neglect so great a salvation, it was first delivered through the Lord Jesus. And then what? Confirmed by the witnesses around him. The message passed on. Until today, the message passes on. The author asked a rhetorical question. You know what a rhetorical question is? It's a question that that you know the answer. Okay. Ibig mong sabihin? Ngayon ka lang umuwi? Actually, that's a rhetorical question. So it's like a question that the person you're asking actually knows the answer. It's to drive home a point. So he was asking, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How can we escape? Especially that the one who delivered the gospel message was not an angel, but one superior to them. How will you escape? How will we escape if through the message of angels there were consequences? But the one who delivered the gospel is none other but God himself, called the Son of God. How will we escape? It was a rhetorical question. There were consequences for not obeying the covenant delivered by angels. But what do you think would be the consequences of not obeying the Son of God, who delivered the new covenant in his blood? Let me emphasize that this section, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, is like a pause, a side note, or a sudden application in the middle of his discussion. And that's why people think that this could be a like a manuscript for preaching because he would establish some teaching and then go to an application. He said, for this reason, we should not neglect. That's the application. And then after verse 4, he would continue to discuss that Christ as man, representing man, is greater than the angels as well. Although in, in chapter 1, it was God, the Son of God is God who is higher than The angels. Now, the gospel, listen to this. The gospel either pronounces blessings on you or it pronounces judgment. The blessings are forgiveness and eternal life and other things where the eye has not seen or ear heard. Now, why ignore a way out of eternal punishment? So let's ask ourselves that. Why ignore a way out of eternal punishment? Why would anyone neglect such great a salvation? The Son of God himself delivered the salvation message, not subordinate angels. 
those who heard the message confirmed it in their testimony. The apostles preached, and the disciples of the apostles passed it on and passed it on and passed it on. And God affirmed that. Moreover, those who personally walked with Christ on earth confirmed the message. They said, yes, we witnessed it, his suffering, death, and resurrection. He was alive again. And they confirmed that he is God. He is the Son of God. Point number three, God affirmed the message of the Son. God affirmed the gospel preached by the apostles through signs and wonders and miracles. And he distributed gifts to each as he chose. And this referring to the gifts of the Spirit. It is worth mentioning that the Lord Jesus himself performed many wonders in the presence of many witnesses. Let's look at verse 4, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Now, when God delivered Israel from Egypt, he displayed power and might. Through Moses, God defeated the Egypt's gods by sending ten plagues, which broke Pharaoh's will. Furthermore, God destroyed the strongest army on earth at that time. He drowned the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. God then provided manna from heaven to feed his people. Can you imagine waking in the morning and your breakfast is there to be picked out outside? It's, it, God provided these miracles. Only when they entered the promised land, the manna stopped. It was time for Israel to start farming. There's a purpose for every miracle. There was a time that there was so much miracle, especially in the area of food for, for the people in the wilderness. But once they entered the promised land, the manna stopped. The manna stopped. That's why in our Christian lives, there are shifts. Something shifts in your life. At first, you may feel like the Lord pampers you all the time. Then after a while, the Lord now wants you to exercise your faith. The Lord wants you to exercise your patience. The Lord wants you to exercise your endurance through the trials. Unlike before, when you ask for a little thing, somehow God provides those little things or big things to you. The same with the amazing miracles that happened in the New Testament church. It was so amazing, really. Uh, the shadow of Peter would heal others, and handkerchiefs prayed by Paul would heal others once it touched them. It did not happen all the time. Remember, there are times they would preach and nothing would happen, but they would preach the gospel. There were times Paul would preach and he will end up persecuted and no visible miracle will happen. Yet there were times that there were, meaning it's up to God when he wants to manifest his miracles and it is not up to the messenger. When God uh, does that, he does it according to his wisdom and his will. Now, when Christ came, he exercised authority over sickness, disease, and demons. He healed many, and he set free those who were oppressed by demons. The Lord demonstrated mighty signs during his earthly ministry. He also empowered his apostles to manifest signs and wonders, especially during the early church. Miracles manifested powerfully in the same, in some areas where the disciples preached the gospel. In other areas, 
there were fewer to no miracles. However, the real miracle is the regeneration of the Spirit in a person's heart. The real miracle is when a person's heart is changed. How does that happen? God promised that through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, saying, I will put my law in their hearts. I will put my fear that they would fear me in their hearts, and I will give them a new heart. Because this heart, the human heart, loves to sin, is stubborn, is disobedient. But when regeneration happens, this is true salvation, happens when there is genuine repentance and genuine faith. Although there is a strong argument that Christ first transforms a person before he can repent. Again, there are different perspectives, but that is not the goal this morning. The goal this morning is to say that God does that. It is by grace, not by us. Yet he expects us to repent and believe, to repent and follow him, to have faith in him. Yet his role we, we would say, is to transform us. And if true salvation is there, there is a change of heart. Suddenly, God becomes interesting. Suddenly, the Word of God becomes alive in you when before it was just another book that is hard to read. But suddenly, something changed. As if scales in your eyes that were blind were removed, and suddenly you see that it is beautiful and wonderful and glorious. Is see, God confirmed the gospel of his son through different ways. But the real confirmation is when people respond to the gospel and they know that Christ did that. The Spirit did that. So we should all heed the warning. The warning of the writer of Hebrews. Let us not drift away. Let us pay attention and do not drift away. Christ is much better than the prophets, higher in power and authority over the angels. And there is no reason. There was no reason for anybody of them to turn back to Judaism. Application one. Let's apply this. Uh, one, let us not drift from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord suffered, died, and resurrected from the dead. His purpose was to pay for our sins and give us eternal life. Take note, not everybody will benefit from this. It is not universal salvation. He will exercise his justice because it glorifies him. His justice will bring people to hell. As he ex ex exercises his love, as he's shown mercy to the guilty. Take note, all are guilty. It's not who is better, he will end up in heaven. It's not the holiest we think will end up in heaven. It's not that. For him, nobody is qualified. Everybody sinned. Some more sins, some lesser sins maybe, but it doesn't matter. You're still guilty. You killed 10, another killed one. It's the same. You're still guilty. Christ suffered God's justice on our behalf. He alone purged our sins through his death. Thus, he alone shall we serve. But those whom God gives a privilege to repent and believe and to follow him, those whom he chose that he regenerates, experiences the benefits of salvation. That's why we should not turn back from the gospel. 
persecution or hardship should not hinder us from believing and living the gospel in our lives. Some people hate you because of the gospel. You're doing the right thing. As long as they don't hate you because you don't have good values. But because you preach the gospel and the gospel hurts them, because the gospel shines upon our sin and then shows the way of salvation. On the first part, it shines on our sin. People hate that. People don't want to be corrected. They don't like authority. But then we have to preach the actual spiritual state of man. If we preach the gospel and everybody likes you, then maybe there's something wrong with how you present the gospel. You're presenting a one-sided gospel which is positive and nice. God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life without telling them, we are sinners. You are sinners. I am guilty. You are guilty. Gossip is a sin. Adultery is a sin. Hatred is a sin. Unforgiveness is a sin. Thievery and, and stealing is a sin. Fornication is a sin. And we need forgiveness. And we need to turn away from those sins. If we truly have faith in Him, we change our mind towards those sins. We proclaim that and people don't always like that. That's why they were, the early church were fed to the lions. And Paul got beaten several times. Well, but today it's an easy gospel. All you need is to bow down your head. And repeat this prayer after me. And suddenly, you are saved. I don't see the apostles doing that. I don't see Jesus doing that. Jesus said, follow me. That's tough. And if you can't give this up, you cannot follow me. If you cannot give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. That was tough. Peter said, repent. That was tough. But we do not neglect so great a salvation because we see that it hurts us. But then we understand what he did on the cross, removing our guilt by his grace, that we are justified by faith. No persecution should turn us away from the gospel. We say no to whoever forces us to turn away. We will also not allow the busyness of life or the pursuit of happiness to derail our focus on the gospel. Some pursue happiness. Some are busy with life because responsibilities. And we all have that. But we will not allow that to crowd out the gospel in our lives. We will not allow that to interfere with our main mission. We will not allow that to interfere. So how do we do? Put Christ first and the things for Christ first during the week. Close in, block that time for Him, the time to pray, the time to meet your brothers and sisters, to strengthen one another. That is ministry, fellowshipping and strengthening one another, coming together in worship, personal time to read the Bible. You block that out first and everything adjusts around that. That's how it is. Everything adjusts around that. It's not the other way around that the work of Christ and my time with Christ adjusts. What adjusts are the things around us. 
We will not allow the pursuit of happiness. You think you can pursue happiness? It's a tangible thing. You cannot see it. You can pursue a rat. Happiness? Oh, the human emotion changes so much. The human emotion is so unstable. Happy for a second, unhappy the next second. Too hard to please our own hearts. Too hard to find happiness. And once you rethink you have that state of happiness, suddenly something will happen and then you lose your happiness. Just like this pandemic, just as we thought our businesses were doing well, so well, then suddenly the pandemic happened. Suddenly you were pursuing something and because that is what you learned from the world, the teachings of the world is be happy, be rich, be financially free. And there is nothing wrong in, in practicing business. However, it is wrong when we put that first, when it becomes a God instead of God himself. At sea, one of the dangerous things is to drift. To drift at sea. If you're in a boat at sea, for example, you accompanied Mr. Fisherman at sea, and they stay there all night, all morning. And I, I mean we hours of the morning. Oh, a little laziness, overconfidence, a lack of focus, and perhaps a little sleep. Then perhaps you wake up, both of you wake up nowhere. You see no land. You only see many sharks under the water. That's what happens when you drift away. Do not be like driftwood that is dead, that just floats at the sea and being thrown anywhere where the sea wills. We do not drift away. We do not let society and culture and our friends allow us to drift away, be driven by them. What do we do? We fight for what we believe. I have enjoyed riding the kayak. I mean, I don't know, since my 20s, I've been riding the kayak. I really enjoy it. And I realized doing the kayak in a, riding the kayak in a very peaceful lake is different from the sea. So one time I tried the kayak at sea, it's so different. You need more muscle. More of your muscles work because you're fighting against what? The waves. In a peaceful sea or, or lake like the man-made lake in Kaliraya. I enjoyed doing the kayak there because where I want to go, I just go. At sea, you have to fight a little bit for it. If you are riding a small boat and fall asleep, your boat will drift with the current, which might bring you to what territories you don't like. You might get lost. How can we drift away? Perhaps by skipping a few times of prayer per day, saying you are busy, making excuses, forgetting about the study of the word, or even encouraging one another as brothers and sisters. The smaller group, that's why the smaller group is important for us, time to gather for worship. We drift away. Why do we need these things? You see, in Christianity, it's not just us and the Lord. Yes, it is personal, but God's ways is not just personal. 
He works through the community. So in the community, we have to behave properly. We learn to respect one another. Sometimes we are corrected when we study, when we quote the Bible the wrong way. Sometimes we are corrected when our behavior isn't becoming of a Christian. And that may hurt, but that's God's design on how to shape us, how to prune us. He doesn't just prune us directly, remove our bad habits. It is also pruned through the community. So that's why my brothers who who share certain stuff and we try our best to to move their boat towards a certain direction because they're going to this this direction. For example, their disappointment with their wife, for example. Now, we have to bring them towards here in a gentle manner as much as possible. But if gentleness will not work, then we have to rebuke directly and sometimes painfully and say, Brother, praise God for all the blessings. Focus on that and speak well of your family. Speak well of those around you and those who help you. So that's community. We cannot drift away from that. The Hebrews were being removed from this community to another community. Therefore, let us be mindful of all we do. In every decision and every action, let us remain vigilant and focused. Remember, at sea you have to fight. Else we drift into an earthly way of thinking. And that is terrible. When you think like the world. When you think like the world. Now, I'm a reader. I I read a lot. I read and learn philosophy of religion, different types. I read business, economics. I read a little about these things, mathematics, physics, law, politics. And I enjoy reading. However, nothing captures me because what I'm grounded in the word of God, in the truth, no matter how attractive something is. Let us be mindful. Let us not drift. Our focus must be Christ, his word, and how to live by faith. Next, let us not neglect the message of salvation. Number two, application. Let us fear God. Do not neglect the message of salvation which includes faith, which includes repentance for the forgiveness of sins, we should bear in mind that we, if we neglect to repent, there would be consequences. And this is what the writer is saying. Are you not afraid? How will we escape? Uh, there's a consequence. Punishment will follow all who reject God's Son. And people have clouded this message because they focused more on what? God is love. And yes, God is love. But if you look at the apostles, how many times did they emphasize that God is love in the epistles? Very few times. We're not discounting the power of his love. It is powerful. But how many times did they bring it up? Come on, read it. Read the New Testament. Chapter by chapter. Read it. They emphasize a lot on the gospel because that is the expression of love. But then they do not Preach what? We seldom preach on what? On punishment, which the apostles preached. And here in Hebrews, we are being warned of that. Many who suffer eternal damnation heard the gospel, but ignored the gospel. 
take note. Many heard the gospel, but they ignored it. Now, there could be two groups who reject the gospel. The first group are those who willfully reject the gospel. Willful. Ayoko nyan. The second group is those who neglect it. The second group is those who neglect it. Again, the first group, okay, there are two groups who reject the gospel. The first group is those who willfully reject it. And the second group are those who neglect it. They do not give enough value to the message of salvation. Let's look at the first group. And this first group, those who reject the gospel, may be classified in two again. One category is those who choose to live with their sins. Thus, they don't like repentance. They choose to live with their sin. So that's a willful defiance of the gospel. They know the gospel. They know they were called to repent, but now I'll just continue in my sexual immorality because it feels right and it feels good. It feels good emotionally, it feels good physically, and I will continue this even though this is outside my marriage. The second would be those who are skeptical about the gospel for the sake of skepticism, but they are too lazy to examine the evidence. Skeptical for the sake of being skeptical. And sometimes I like to talk to people like these. For example, somebody said, well, I think I'm an atheist. Okay, let's talk. Why? What's the reason? He first began to say science. Okay, let's talk about science. What about science? Uh, I don't see God creating the world. Okay. So what do you believe in? I believe in evolution. Okay. So, then you're a man of science and you believe in logic. Yes, I do. Okay. So, can something come out of nothing? Is it logical? That suddenly this table became a table without anybody making it. Can that happen? Is that logical? He said, no. Okay, so that's not logical. Another thing, so where did we all begin? According to evolution, not monkeys, but way before that, a single cell, a single organism. Okay, for a single organism to survive, you need the perfect environment. You need the perfect environment, the right amount of oxygen in the air, the right amount of sunlight, the right amount of everything. So where did that thing come from? It just happened. Can something come out of nothing? Tell me, man of science, because that is science. Then they stop. So here's what I tell you. I believe in God by faith. I cannot claim I saw him created the world. Neither can you say that we came out of nothing because you didn't see it either. So what I am saying to you, Mr. Man of Science, what you believe in and how you believe it is also a matter of faith and not a matter of logic. Well, these people sometimes are too skeptical, but they don't have time to engage others who believe in God. So after that, he said, I will go to church again. I don't know what happened now. 
Now, let's look at the people in the second group. The second group are those who do not pay close attention to the gospel, nor give it the value it deserves. And uh, the second group, those who neglect, are classified into two categories as well. The one, one category is those who heard it, somehow understand it to be true, but decides that there is no time for it. It's neglect. I heard the gospel, it's true. Right, but I don't have time for it. So that's not true faith, because true faith is following Christ proactively, not passively. The other category are those who actually even attend church so that they can be inspired. No more about the word of God, but they never come to the point of full surrender. They never come to the point of repentance. They just want to listen or they were forced to listen because the family goes to church. They do not make the gospel as the prime importance in their lives. But brethren, we shall not be of those who neglect so great a salvation. We believe in the witness of the apostles about his suffering, death, and resurrection. Moreover, we proclaim to others their testimony as revealed in the New Testament. We also confirm the power of the gospel in our lives, how God gave us a new heart and a new birth in Christ. And that's the evidence. That is the confirmation that is supernatural. There was a new heart. That's why you know there's a new birth. Nobody had to convince you, oh, because you prayed that prayer, you have the new birth. No, 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 no. It is the Spirit of God that comes in you and deals with you, and you know something happened there. And lastly, let us trust that God will reveal himself when we preach. Application three, let us trust that God will confirm his message as we preach it. He may confirm it through signs and wonders or the working of the Holy Spirit in a person's heart. Our focus should be to preach an accurate gospel. We must preach a gospel that is accurate. You go back to Luke 24, suffering, death, resurrection, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You can add that several parts of scripture that are aligned to the gospel, justification by faith, repent and believe, follow me as Christ said. The Lord Jesus manifested signs and wonders and we know that God confirmed it. But it's amazing and it's true and we believe it. But let me put something in perspective because there's some parts of Christianity who claim to be Christians, but I believe have gone overboard. Because of the desire for signs and wonders, miracles to happen, some preach mainly the main message is signs and wonders, and that cannot be. You cannot focus on miracles as the main message of the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel is about Christ and the miracles confirmed it. But we know that not always. It was just a story to tell that God did confirm it once upon a time. And God can confirm it today. But like the apostles, it wasn't an everyday experience. It was not a regular experience. But can we believe in God to move today? Of course. And some of us have experienced these small miracles of the Lord. Some have experienced a, an impossible healing for the humans. But God intervened, and it is amazing, and we believe in that. But we never force it. Sometimes listening to these 
groups as if they're forcing it. They're forcing a manifestation, but in fact, it is just a conditioning of people. But if you ask them, have you asked that? Have you verified that with medical professionals? Once upon a time, I had uh, this problem. Now I am healed. Did the doctor say it? Was it confirmed? No, I believe, I believe, but I don't believe in going overboard with this. Let God confirm it, but God doesn't always confirm it with visible miracles. The main confirmation is what? The transformation of the heart. Now, some have even made reckless statements such as, I've heard this several times. If a ministry does not operate in signs and wonders, it is not God's ministry. Now, some of us have experienced a little of these things, but this is a huge claim. Now, here's the problem with those who claim this, and one of them is speaks on TV a lot or YouTube. Uh, I didn't see them in the front lines of the pandemic praying for the, those infected. I wonder why. You know, they would say, oh, if your ministry doesn't have signs and waters, that is not God's ministry. Oh, where were you? Where is the fantastic stories of once with COVID, now with not? Where is that? So I say to them, shame on you. There was this meme. Well, it was a joke, but I think it was true. There was this, this church that has a prophetic school. Okay, you know the announcement? I don't know if it's just for fun, but I, I like... I like the announcement. Somebody took a picture. Due to unforeseen events, our prophetic school is suspended. <laughs> I thought you were gifted prophets who could... And there was a claim to be an international prophet. How come they didn't see this coming? And there are those who came, oh, I saw that coming, but if you check further, and those who were investigated, they investigated them, they created another video that was post-pandemic, claiming it was pre-pandemic. Oh, boy. There are liars and charlatans out there, and we must be careful. What is our guide? The gospel is the main message, not miracles, not the gifts of the Spirit. It is the gospel. And God's most significant confirmation is the work of the Spirit in a person's life. If we preach an accurate gospel, God will attract the people whom He called to repent and believe, and the Holy Spirit will transform their lives. Many of us heard the gospel and experienced God's confirmation within us. If you have not, then pray. Submit yourself to the Lord. Say, Lord, I surrender. Call me, O Lord. I repent of my sins. I want to have faith. I believe your Holy Spirit I desire. The work of a spirit is not our work. It is the work of Christ. Not through our merit, but God's grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. As I close, so I wrote something for me and you. It is called Stay True. Pay close attention with your mind. God is holy, yet He is kind. Again, this is for me and you. It is called Stay True. Oh, dear friend, do not drift away. 
never yourself be led astray. Why neglect this great salvation? Why deny your sin's redemption? Stay true and hold on to his word. Don't ignore the gospel you've heard. For doom comes to all who ignore. Damnation for sure is in store. Set your mind, set yourself apart. God's gift, a new heart, a new start. Promised thus through Jeremiah, fulfilled in Christ the Messiah. Let us all rise and let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the warning that we should not neglect so great a salvation that we see it in perspective. The things of the world are temporary. They are passing. The pleasures of the world are temporary and they will also pass away. But you are eternal, O Son of God. You live forevermore. Your throne is established from eternity to eternity. So we do not neglect your message, delivered by you yourself, witnessed by the apostles, preached through every generation. And we pray that we will be faithful in this generation to proclaim your gospel. And for us, Lord, who have heard this for the first time, that there is forgiveness for our sins, no matter how great. That the justice of God, the wrath of God, were received by Christ on the cross. And pardon, justification, is given through faith. Confirmed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Lord, give us faith. Teach us to have faith. We repent of our sins and we want to follow you. We desire you, Lord. Transform us. We pray blessing upon everyone, protection upon everyone, overflowing grace upon everyone. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, God bless you. Good morning.